It is uh, good to be with you uh, this morning and good to be with the church family uh, every, every Sunday, especially uh, today. We had some challenges yesterday and it's just, just good to have a new, uh, a new day and a new start and to be together. I don't know about you, but I'm uh, on a journey both uh, learning to know God more and more and then, somewhat surprisingly, learning to know myself uh, more and more. Uh, so there are times when, in my life, where I have um, wanted uh, to cry or to have tears, and I don't have those. And then there are other times when I'm not expecting them, and uh, tears start flowing from my eyes. My wife and I, in, in recent uh, weeks, uh, have been watching and reading and even praying for what has been going on in Ukraine. And there have been times where I've been on the couch and uh, watching the news or watching uh, some video of the atrocities that are, that are going on over there, seeing an image, a photograph, or video, and tears begin to flow uh, down my face. I say that to say I've been getting to know myself. I, it's surprising sometimes when that happens because I'm not someone that cries very often or very easily. But I am praying that God would help me to get to know Him and to be more like Him. And so maybe part of that surprise is that He's actually changing me and using me. Throughout the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament, we read about God's heart for those who are in distress, particularly widows and orphans and immigrants and the poor. And this uh, fits particularly with the men and women and children, especially um, in Ukraine. You know, I've listened to several interviews of people who were living in Ukraine prior to the invasion. And they describe, uh, in the interview, this huge force of Russians, this huge military force on their border. And, and they asked them what they were doing prior to the invasion. And the interviews that I saw, the folks that were interviewed, these Ukrainians that were living there said, hey, we were just going on with life as, as normal. We, we knew this great force was there, but we did not really think that he would do this and we were going to work, and we were going to school, and we were doing things, not thinking that this would happen. Uh, they thought that Putin would never do such an outrageous thing as uh, invading this country, ostracizing the world, and, and weakening himself, and, and Russia, he won't invade, they thought. Some of the statistics here, more than 10 million people are already thought to have fled their homes in Ukraine because of the invasion, according to the United Nations, as well as the 4.3 million who have left for neighboring countries. Another 6.5 million are thought to be displaced inside the war-torn country itself. What does this have to do with Palm Sunday and with our passage for today? I'm wanting to bring out the reality that many millions of the people living in Ukraine did not think this was going to happen. 
it is incredibly difficult to predict or to know the future. I don't know the future. You don't know the future. And many Ukrainians got the future exactly wrong. So if someone were to predict the future, whether it's about Ukraine and Russia or some other geopolitical event, if someone were to predict the future, maybe even centuries before that event came to be, that should get our attention. That's why I'm telling this story. If someone centuries ago predicted something even simple about your day or my day today, it should get our attention. Well, today is Palm Sunday. I think we have it up on the screen here. I uh, lost my uh, screen, so I'm, I'm dealing with this. Yes, Palm Sunday, 2022. See that? I'm just getting myself. I'm just getting myself scheduled uh, since my screen in front of me once again isn't working. I was going to try to preach this without telling you that, but I already told you that and, and lost that. So. If this thing was cheap, I would throw this thing right now, but this thing's expensive, so I'm just going to put it down here and just ignore it since I don't want to break it and throw it. So where am I? I'm preaching. So, if something were prophesied, predicted centuries before it occurred, that should get our attention. And what I'm trying to say is that Palm Sunday... This, what we now describe as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was predicted 500 years before it happened by the prophet Zechariah in the Hebrew Bible. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. It's a fancy and poetic way to talk about the people of God, the daughter of Zion, daughter of Jerusalem. He's speaking to believers, to the people of God. Rejoice. See, your king comes to you. Your king is coming 500 years or so before Christ went into Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt the full of a donkey. I have five things today to share with you from God's Word about His triumphal entry, about King Jesus. And the main thing today that I'm saying is that He is an uncommon King. It is an uncommon kingship. And the first of five things I want to say today is that His kingship, His being King and the way he revealed himself as king was predicted 500 years before it happened. It was, if you will, his going public with his ministry. Jesus was not a fake looking for fame. If you're not familiar with Jesus and his ministry, he did a lot of things in public. He wasn't hiding, but he was, he was trying to keep his ministry from exploding so that he could do the things he wanted to do. And so it wasn't fully public, really, until he goes to Jerusalem. 
if we look back at Mark chapter 1, in Mark 1, Jesus has, has just healed a man with some skin disease. The Bible calls leprosy. We probably have five different names of diseases today. There are very contagious skin diseases that the Bible calls leprosy. This wasn't some acne. This wasn't some um, poison oak. This is something that was devastating, that was contagious. It was something that was terrible and horrific. And Jesus heals this man with leprosy, and then he sends him away, away at once with a strong warning. And what is this warning? We see this throughout the Gospels. This is his warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, the man that he healed, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. He was in the foothills of Galilee ministering, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. What I'm trying to say, church, is that his coming kingship into the city of Jerusalem where he goes full-on public and isn't staying away, trying to stay away from the crowds, was predicted 500 years before it happened. And it happened in an uncommon and a crazy way. Now we're going to look at how it happened in Matthew 21. The passage was just read, but while we are here talking about predictions, let me just remind you that there the scriptures are full of predictions centuries before events took place that actually happened, and this is one of them. This is just one of them. Uh, now, before I get to one other one, let me just say this about this prediction in Zechariah 9.9 about Jesus' triumphal entry. If I were a skeptic here today, I might think, you know, um, I, I, I could have grabbed a, a, a donkey if I were alive uh, back in the first century and I knew about this passage and I could have uh, ridden into Jerusalem according to what Zechariah 9.9 says, I, I could have been a, a fake. I could have, could have come in and, and done this. Maybe, maybe Jesus did this. Maybe this isn't such a supernatural thing. But the reality is, the truth is, is that if you or I were living back then and we rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, nobody would care. Because we didn't live the life that Jesus has just lived in the past three years. We don't have time today to go over it all, but just one of the things that happened most proximate, most recent to his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey was his raising of Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. That had just happened. And the news traveled. Hey, we were at this memorial service, and let me tell you what happened. Well, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. I don't believe that. Well, this man, Jesus, was there and this happened. Before that, there were huge crowds that followed him out in the countryside and, and they're needing food and they're far away and he multiplies the food and feeds thousands of people. Another time, he's out on the sea and he calms the storm and people see him speak to the waves and to the sky and to the storm. So you or I faking it and riding into Jerusalem knowing Zechariah 9.9 just would not bring the attention that was brought to Jesus, this man from Nazareth who was the Son of God. So he is a predicted king is what I'm trying to say. And if we jump forward now to Good Friday, let me just share with you a, a few more predictions about Jesus written centuries before 
his death now. Isaiah 53, a familiar passage. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. I take this very literally. Jesus would not have, had they had such a thing, he would not have been on the front page of magazines or he would not have been the number one man on Instagram because of his appearance. There was nothing in his physical appearance to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. This is an uncommon king, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He took up our infirmities on the cross. He took up our sorrows. Isaiah 53, it goes on, but he was pierced for our transgressions. We looked at last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. This was said in the Hebrew Bible centuries before it happened. He was pierced for our sins, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The Hebrew Bible is full of predictions centuries before it happened. And these things should get our attention. We are talking this morning about an uncommon king and his triumphal entry. One of five points today. The first one is he is this uncommon king. He is a predicted king. Let's get to our text now for today where this passage, Zechariah 9.9, is quoted. So hopefully you have your Bibles open or your devices open. Let's take a look at Matthew 21, verses 1 through 5. I have a green light down here, so I'm going to go ahead and, and use this thing. All right, Matthew 21, and let's take a look at verses 1 through 5. It says, as they approached Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples... That's who the they is. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now, before we keep going, let me just pause here for a moment. And just, this isn't one of my five points, but I mean, one of the uncommon things about our King Jesus is he doesn't own a donkey. He doesn't own a horse. He doesn't own a house. He doesn't rent a house. He doesn't have an apartment. He doesn't have a single wide trailer on a piece of property. He has nothing. The Lord of the universe, the man who spoke the universe into existence, who was there in the beginning, according to John 1, he doesn't own anything. This king has to borrow a donkey to go into Jerusalem. And this is a pretty unusual setup, telling these two disciples to go and find this donkey and this colt and to untie them and bring them to him. So that's uh, verses 1 through 3. Let's come back and look at 4 and 5. So this took place, this triumphal entry, that's what we call verses 1 through 11, this event. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. 
through the prophet Zechariah. We've already looked at that, Zechariah 9.9. It's quoted right here in verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, that is, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, which stand for all of the covenant people of God, for all believers, say to the people of God, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, this is extraordinary. This is unusual. This is uncommon for a king to ride on a donkey. Now, if we look at some of the background of this from Archaeology Magazine, it says this, for nearly a millennium, war horses were used almost exclusively to pull chariots, but after about 850 B.C., chariotry began to decline. Horses, however, never lost their usefulness in battle. Within about 150 years, cavalry, which is suitable to almost any terrain, virtually re replaced chariotry in, in the Near East, in the ancient Near East, and eventually horse-drawn chariots were employed primarily for racing and ceremonial parades and as prestige vehicles. Prestige vehicles. That's what we ex would expect Jesus to be coming into Jerusalem in, the prestige vehicle, the Tesla or the limousine of the first century was a chariot or a war horse, but he is coming in on a donkey. A donkey. This is intentional. This is uncommon. And this is something that should stick with us today. If we look at this text again, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. This donkey is describing in a powerful way this imagery, this event. Think of it in your mind. Some of you, like me, have been there, have been to Jerusalem, and you could see a, a dirt road and could see, imagine Jesus coming in on this dirt road on a colt with its mother donkey right next to him. This is just an unexpected and crazy setting. And what it is intending to communicate is the gentle humility and meekness of our, of our Lord. In the book that's been, already been cited today, uh, Gentle and Lowly, um, the author helps us see God's heart. He writes this, he says, in the four gospel accounts given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters of biblical text, there's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. But in only one place, perhaps the most wonderful words ever uttered by human lips, do we hear Jesus himself open up to us his very heart. And what is his heart? What is the only place in 88 chapters where we read of his heart? It's back in chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel, where Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's you and me. Life is hard, even if you're retired. Life is, I, I hear it gets harder man, for many. As you retire, our hearts are weary. But Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Along with this passage in Matthew 11, we should have this imagery of Jesus riding on a donkey 
on a cult coming into Jerusalem, going fully public with his ministry. Palm Sunday, of course, is the beginning of the public disclosure of himself that he knows is going to end in his death and then in his resurrection. So this Sunday is one week before Resurrection Sunday. It is about five days before Good Friday. And he is demonstrating with very powerful imagery his gentleness, his humility, his meekness coming into Jerusalem on a donkey as it was prophesied 500 years before in the book of Zechariah. Now this is really interesting to me, this imagery of our Lord in Matthew 11, his heart of humility, of meekness, of gentleness. Because for whatever reason, I think if we were to ask our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family members who have not been in a gathering like this on Sunday morning, whether it's in a small church like this or in a great big church or in a medium-sized church, if we ask them about coming to church with us maybe on Easter Sunday morning, a response that you will often hear is not anything about the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus, but you hear about lightning bolts that would strike me if I come in to his presence or into a gathering where he is worshipped. You know what I'm talking about, church? That is, the, that is his reputation. That is what people out there think. The message of the gospel is I am here for those prodigals, for those wayward ones, for those who have lived just lives of selfishness and abandonment far away from God. My heart is gentle and lowly. And guess what? If you follow me, your life is actually going to become restful and easy in the sense that I am with you and will sustain you. Not that all of a sudden life is going to be a piece of cake, but I'm going to be with you and see you through it. And so in that sense, your work is easy. My yoke is light. So what I'm trying to say, church, is this uncommon king that we have is not only a predicted king, but he is a meek king. To use the King James word for gentle or for humble or for lowly, he is meek. He, he will one day judge. He will one day have lightning bolts that come. But the message of the gospel is that the day of salvation is now and his heart is gentle and lowly and his kingship and his reign now is one of welcoming wayward people in. I love you. My yoke is easy. Come and follow me. He is a meek king and this is part of what we should take away on Palm Sunday from Matthew 21. Now there is a time coming where we will see him as it were, on a war horse. That is what we would expect him to come into Jerusalem on. That's what they were expecting. They were expecting, the Jews were expecting a Messiah, a Savior, to come in power and strength and to throw off the Romans and to execute divine justice and to put away all those, these oppressing people and to judge them and to rule and reign forever and ever and to make the world a perfect place. And that day is coming, but it is not yet. So I think maybe there's confusion about the first coming and the second coming and the heart of Jesus. 
I don't want to cause any more confusion, but we want to understand the whole counsel of God. So let me read to you about the time when he is going to be on a war horse. He is not going to be on a donkey, and he is going to come in judgment and setting all things right. Revelation chapter 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, a war horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. This is describing the eyes of our Lord who rode at his first coming before the cross and resurrection on a donkey, but at his second coming, he's on a war horse, a white horse, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Maybe just pause here for a moment. What a difference between the first coming and the second coming. The first coming, he has come to rescue and to save the nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. But at the end, the time will be up. And he is coming to strike down the nations. That is, the people groups of the world who reject him as Savior and Lord. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is how he will come one day. But how he came 2,000 years ago was gentle and lowly and humbly riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Back to our text, it's interesting that Matthew doesn't point out something about this colt that it has never been ridden before. Mark and Luke point that out, Matthew doesn't. I think perhaps Matthew is seeking to emphasize the humility and the gentleness of our Lord, and so he doesn't bring that fact out. The gospel writers are selective in what they record. I'm not a horseman or a donkey expert, but it's my understanding that it is not easy to get on one and ride it that has never been ridden on it by a human being. Is there a testimony from a horse person here? Is that true? Is that true? I don't know. Somebody? Are you guys awake? Yes. That's, that's hard to do. You're not horse people either. You don't know. My understanding is you don't do that, but Jesus did that. But that's not in Matthew, so that's not part of my sermon, so just ignore that. But it is in Luke, and, and it is in Mark. He is a meek king, is what we are to see. The day of salvation is now, and he is welcoming and embracing those who would turn to him and not coming with a sword of judgment to destroy the nations to save them. That is the message that we are taking everywhere we go, to the foothills, around the world, all places. Let's come back to our text here and look at verses 6 through 8. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey 
and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, their jackets, if you will, their outer garments. They placed their jackets on the donkey and its colt, and Jesus sat on them, referring to all of the coats or cloaks that are on the colt. That's the, that's the, the one he got on, not on the, the mama, but on the colt. And he sat on the cloaks, which were the saddle. Verse 8, a very large crowd spread their cloaks or their coats on the ground, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So here's where we get this phrase, Palm Sunday. Only John tells us that they were actually palm branches. Matthew tells us they were branches from the trees, and they were spread on the road. Jesus, even on a donkey, was overwhelmingly impressive, and they recognized him, many did, as the Messiah. So they're doing whatever they can to honor this overwhelmingly impressive and humble king. I don't know if you've ever been with someone who's taken off their shirt or their jacket and given it to someone. That's what was going on. How do we honor this humble king? Well, we, we, we need to make him a saddle. Let, let, let's use our coats and make him something to sit on, a saddle. Well, we got to do more than that. Let, let, let's get branches. There's no red carpet here. Let's get the palm branches and lay them out as he comes in. He's, he's not saying, don't tell anyone anymore. He's coming into Jerusalem. He, 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 he's ready to be on the front page. He, he's ready to have more Instagram followers than anyone else on the planet now at this point. He is, he is ready to go public. He's not saying to people, hey, don't tell anyone I did this. He's going fully public. And the people are recognizing it. And they are putting these things out. So he is a mind-blowing king. He is an uncommon king. He's a predicted king. He's a meek king. He is a mind-blowing king. He's overwhelmingly impressive and humble. And they're just figuring out how to honor him and how to worship him. And that's what one of our responses should be to this text right now. How do I honor Christ? How do I worship him? I think a couple answers to that question is, with whatever you have access to. I mean, that's what they're doing in this text, literally. What do you have access to? Worship God with that. We have access to our voices today. And so we worship him. In a few minutes, we are going to sing songs to him. He wants you to grab hold of your voice and to just let it go up to him and to praise him. Holy, holy, holy are you, God. They're just grabbing branches. That's how we can honor him. How should you worship him? Another answer to that question, we saw it not too many months ago in Romans 12.1. He doesn't want our offerings primarily. In other words, he doesn't want us to sacrifice something and to drop it in a fire or to bring it to him. Our offerings are our lives. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, Romans 12.1. Whether you eat or drink or sleep or work or retire or whatever you're doing, he wants your life to glorify him. Whatever you have access to, worship him with that. That's what we see happening on this Palm Sunday, this original Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry of this uncommon king coming into Jerusalem on a cult that has never 
been written before. This is the Word of God that we are looking at. We have looked through verse 8. Let's come back to the text here and look at verse 9, and we'll finish up here with just a couple more verses through 11. Verse 9, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is a Hebrew word. It means save. They recognize that he is of the house and lineage of David, that he's the son of David. Many in the crowd recognize he is the Messiah. They are shouting save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this uncommon king, he is a predicted king, a meek king, a mind-blowing king. He is a messianic king. He is the king that has been anticipated for centuries, that has been written about and predicted in the Hebrew Scriptures. They weren't expecting him to suffer. They weren't expecting him to come on a donkey. They were expecting him to come on a war horse and to rule and to judge the nations. But he came with a mission to serve and to suffer and to save the world on the cross. So this is Psalm 118 that's being quoted here in verse 9. The rabbis and the Talmud and the Midrash, they understood this psalm to be messianic. These are people who knew the scriptures and they are recognizing what has happened over these last three years with Jesus' ministry. They are recognizing Zechariah 9.9, that it is being fulfilled and the son of David is before us. Our messianic king is here. Verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? So we see a contrast now. So some of the crowd recognized he's the son of David. Hosanna! Hosanna! And then the crowd is growing. I don't know how many, but I think it was a massive crowd. And some in the crowd are saying, who is this that we're laying palm branches out for? This guy in a donkey? He's not on a horse. He doesn't even have a chair. He doesn't even own a horse. He doesn't. Who is this guy? The same question, in a different way, is asked by our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates. Who is this? Who is this? We see that response here. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I think this is a genuine answer here. Yeah, this is who he is. The the guy who's been doing all these things from Nazareth, this is he. So he is not only a predicted king, a meek king, a mind-blowing king, a messianic king, but he's a misunderstood king. And some there that day understood who he was, and some there that day did not understand who he was, and they say, who is this? And they need to be touched by his spirit to recognize who he is going to, who he is, and especially what is about to happen just about five days later on Friday, and what is to happen a week later when he would appear after he has died. He is a misunderstood king. God wants us to be on the side of the crowd who recognizes. Jesus as the Messiah and as the son of David. He does not want us to be on the side who misunderstands who he is. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will one day come back and there will not be time any longer to repent and believe at that moment when he comes on his war horse. But as he has come on the donkey, these last 2,000 years, I am not surprised that it has taken so long because our God is patient and humble and lowly and he is continuing to gather people into the fold. Are you one of those? May God, by his grace, have us follow him to be his children and to shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this gentle and lowly and humble king who was an uncommon king, who was a king like no other, a king who owns the entire universe but doesn't have his own donkey to ride on. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And we acknowledge this great day some 2,000 years ago where he rode into Jerusalem knowing that his own suffering on behalf of my sin and the sin of each one here and the sin of the world indeed was going to be laid upon him. But he loved us so much that he went fully public and he went to the cross for our sake. We pray in his name. Amen.